0: Today, we're going to start a new series, a new message series um, that uh, I'm really, really, really excited about. Um, I don't, I told you this before, I don't like standalone messages. Um, I like to have a series and a pattern so that we can work through something. And so today, we're starting a new series, and it's uh, the first time for me to do a series like this. Um, the Lord led me to start thinking about this several weeks ago. And uh, in the development of it, I started getting very, very excited. And it is Minor Prophets, Major Truths. How many of you have ever read the book of Habakkuk (laughs) or Amos or, you know, I mean, there's some strange named short books uh, that are in the Old Testament that God, um, God used for his people then and wants to still use for his people today. And so I titled it Minor Prophets, Major Truths, because sometimes when we go to pick a book of the Bible for our devotional or whatever it may be, we gravitate towards things like Genesis or Romans or the book of Acts. And we don't really look and dive too deep into those smaller books. So the reason why they're called Minor Prophets, you may not know this, but it's going to be a teaching series that we walk through several of those um, books. And the reason why they're called Minor Prophets can be attributed back thousands of years ago, really at this point, um, to a man named Augustine. He happened to be a theologian and a philosopher and also the bishop of a church back in the third century, and he came up with the term minor and major. So there are four major prophets, the big, big books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, those sorts of things, and then the minor prophets are all smaller. They're smaller, but they're not less important. Can I get an amen? So let me ask you this. What do you think about when you think about the word prophet? Just think think quietly to yourself for a moment. You may have different um, understanding of what a prophet is or does. I know we've walked through several series on the Holy Spirit over our time in ministry here, talking about the gift of prophecy Um, And that sort of thing. So people have a lot of different thoughts. But most people, when they think of prophets, they think of somebody who tells the future. Kind of like a fortune teller, if you think uh, along those lines. But prophets do some foretelling in scripture. But that's not the majority of what they do. In fact, the Bible is very clear all the way throughout these messages that the prophets gave even further back in the Old Testament that their job was to warn the wicked and encourage the righteous. So that's what the job of the prophet was. They warned the wicked, they encouraged the righteous, and they preached something called repentance and salvation. Now we've talked about the word repentance, but I never want to take for granted the fact that I just assume that you know what that is. Repentance means a turnabout or a turn around. So you're heading in one direction, and if I turn and go in the opposite direction, I have repented. I have turned around. So they preached this turnaround message, and they also preached salvation um, to the people of Israel. So they weren't primarily interested in the future. In fact, most of what they talked about was presently happening or in the past. So I want to challenge your thoughts about what a prophet is and does in scripture, because I think sometimes we really do uh, gravitate towards that idea that a prophet is somebody who's just a fortune teller or someone who tells the future. And that simply just is not the case. So prophets in the Bible, they talked about the past behavior Of God and the past behavior of people towards God. They talked about the present and what's happening right now in the here and now. And then they also sometimes talked a little bit about what was to come. And oftentimes it was shared. uh, And maybe sometimes we don't go to the books of the prophets because we have this misconception that they're all doom and gloom. I think that's the case and has been the case at different points in my immaturity in my faith that I thought, you know, it's just doom and gloom and they're just, it's like hellfire brimstone, like what's the big point? I need something encouraging that, you know, God is with you and he loves you. And Jeremiah 29, 11, like I need that stuff uh, rather than this stuff. But here's the thing, there's stuff going on in society and in those days that, showed some problems that the people of God were facing, in fact, they faced several different things that were addressed by almost every prophet and that was there was a lack of morals in society. Does that sound like it could apply to us today right there were, There was a lack of that morality in society, and then they also focused on people 's failure to keep god 's law. Are we struggling with that today, even in our day and time? We struggle with that ourselves even thousands of years later after this message. But the prophets consistently encouraged people to something that I term internal righteousness rather than external obedience. So they kept going back to, you've left the Lord, you need to come back, you need to stop doing those things But the way to stop doing those things is not just to say no, it's actually to have your heart repentant and come back towards the Lord. So many people think that the uh, prophets are hard to understand. uh, But I'm telling you, if you get a little bit of uh, just a primer on what it means for them to have prophesied in those days, you start to really understand and appreciate Uh, The fact that they were reminding people of the results of disobedience to God's law. They were reminding them of what God had done in the past and they made many references to that. In fact, unless you understand the book of Deuteronomy, you can't really understand anything that's being said by a prophet. And I know that's a large statement to make, but I'm going to share with you a passage in Deuteronomy that really is the cornerstone for the thought behind this whole series. I want you to go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll have the verse on the screen in just a moment. But God's covenant in Deuteronomy follows a very simple structure. Anybody in here love history? You're a history buff. Okay, me too. There was in those days and still today a very specific agreement or type of agreement that was made. The suzerain vassal agreement or treaty would have been something that you made some guarantees with some conditions. In fact, I think that's the closest sort of agreement in human behavior because we still do it today and we do it naturally. We do it with our kids. We do it with our grandkids. We do it with our spouse. If you do this, I'll do this. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. We do it in business. We do it in all sorts of areas of our life. And this is the the simple way to look at God's covenant. It has a very simple structure. He says, if you are loyal to me, you'll be blessed and you'll be protected. But if you're disloyal to me, you will be punished. And bad things will happen. In fact, you will be destroyed. So, we need to understand Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. It says this, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. It goes on to say, And all these blessings shall come upon you, and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. And if you read on through that chapter, there are several verses there where God expounds on what those blessings would be. I'll bless you as you come and as you go. I'll bless your family. I'll bless your finances. I mean, there's some amazing promises that are listed. But then look at verse 15 of that same chapter. This is the bad news portion. But if you do not or will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then curses are mentioned and they're listed. Now, this is the full gospel message, that God's love is unconditional, but his covenant is not. We have to come to grips with that. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 20. It's basically, it gets summed up like this. It says, see, I've set before you today life and good, fate or death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. God himself says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he's your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give to them. You know, the Bible is an amazing collection of books. And every single book that the Bible contains is important. See, God promised to Abraham that Abraham would be the father of a great nation that he would give him the land of Israel, and that through his seed, the nations of the world would be blessed. And we've got to remember, God carries that love and commitment all the way throughout the history of the Israelite people, and he carries it now even further, post-Christ, to us who are not even Jewish, to be welcomed into his family. But we do have to remember that truth that God's love is unconditional, but his covenant is not. God has always required, always required, our obedience, faithfulness, loyalty. There's never been a moment that he has not required that. He required that even if it's not said clearly, he required that in the garden. That's why he acts surprised when he can't find Adam and Eve. Because, His understanding and his hope was that, hey, they're going to keep coming back to me, and I'm going to keep coming back to them, and we're going to walk through this life together. So God's always required, and he still does, our faithfulness and loyalty. Today, we're diving into the first of these minor prophets, and that book goes by the name of the prophet. His name is Hosea. You can I'll give you a minute or two to go ahead and try to flip in your Bible. Uh, It's a hard to find place and we don't go there very often. So I want you to find Hosea um, and we're gonna talk through the book of Isaiah and give you kind of like a Cliff's Notes version of the 14 chapters that are there. And I'm gonna want you to think about, let me say it a different way. I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to think about how it can apply to you even today. Now, the whole idea behind the book of Hosea could be summed up in several different phrases or ways to put it, but I chose prevailing love. God's prevailing love that will ultimately always win. Amen? So Hosea's, uh, let me give you a little biography and context for what's going on. He lived and prophesied in what's called the Northern Kingdom, the Northern Kingdom of Israel. What happened was after King Solomon passed away, after he died, the nation of Israel split. There was a division that took place, and that's why you'll hear the phrase throughout Scripture, Northern Kingdom or the Southern Kingdom of Judah and the Northern Kingdom of Israel. You'll, you can dig into some of the Bible to find out more details as to why that happened. But it happens about 750 years before Christ. Now, they're also, Hosea is living in these days that they are not yet exiled. Do you remember the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember the idea of the people of Israel being taken captive They get taken captive, not because God's not paying attention and they just get stolen, but because God has said to them repeatedly, if you don't follow me and love me with your whole heart, you're going to lose me and I'm going to let bad stuff happen to you. I've said you're a victorious nation, but I'm telling you I'm going to let somebody else have a victory over you for a time for you to learn a lesson. Well, Hosea is living in the days before this takes place and he's giving some some understanding to the people, hopefully, to have them course correct and get right back on the right path. History tells us they did not and they did end up being exiled. The king at the time was a man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a virtually righteous man. You could say 98%, is that a thing? 98% righteous? But there were some things going on in the kingdom that were not corrected. They were enjoying economic prosperity. Does that sound like any nation you've ever lived in? They were enjoying the expansion of the kingdom during these days. But they were also having something else that was underneath the surface. And that was spiritual trouble. So meanwhile they had financial blessing. But they had some spiritual underlying issues. The people had started adding God, the God of Israel, to the mix of other gods of the nations who were their neighbors. So they started intermarrying into those other religious groups. I'll take one brief second to say this. God has no preference or issue with the color of your skin. And neither should anyone who calls themselves a believer there was this old ignorant misinformed misguided thought in the church itself that someone of a different race couldn't marry another person of another race and they thought they had scripture to back that up and it's all to borrow your term or the term of my grandfather hogwash it's not true What God was saying was, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or where you're from. It matters that you serve me. And he knew that the intermarriage of those from a religious background that was different than those who were serving the God of Israel would cause major issues. So I say that, that was a soapbox moment, but I just make some truth clear from time to time. We've got to understand where we're headed, okay? So the people of God started to mix in the other gods of the other cultures around them, specifically a God named Baal or Baal. Do you guys remember seeing that in scripture? The word B-A-A-L, okay? So this was a foreign entity, a foreign God that they began to worship. They gave in the pressure of the people and the culture around them. If you're listening with your spiritual ears this morning... The church of Jesus Christ that exists today needs to stand firm against the culture around it and not absorb those things. Man, I've been so blessed. There have been several days during my recovery. I've read the exact same passage over and over again and let it give me new life and fresh understanding. Romans, the book of Romans, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't give in to the pressure. And we think, well, maybe that's just a message to youth groups across America. Stand against the peer pressure. No, that peer pressure is at your job. It's in your community. It's real. It's, it's real. So they gave in to those pressures and into the pressures of people and cultures around them. So Hosea focuses his message on a couple different things, and I'll have those on the screen for you. He talks about Israel's historical relationship with God. He talks about Israel's love affair with the fertility rituals of Baal worship. Since there are no children in the room today, but I wasn't sure if there would or not be, I was going to title the message, A Prophet and a Prostitute. And I'll tell you why I say that in just a minute. But we're going to talk about this with some clarity in scripture. Israel had a love affair with these, this other god named Baal, or Baal. And there were fertility rituals that involved prostitution in service to that god. Israel's, he talks about Israel's economic and military and political practices and some of the things that they were dealing with. He also talks about God's expectations of Israel based out of Deuteronomy chapter 28 that we just read and God's ultimate prevailing love for his people. But something so interesting about Hosea, to give you a little understanding of what is about to take place in the message we're going to read. Hosea was not asked to stand on a street corner with a sign and preach, God is coming, you're going to get exiled unless you repent. He he wasn't told to do that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, a bunch of other ones that are listening. In fact, almost every other prophet was told to speak out words of condemnation, correction, reproof, all those things to the people. Stand on a mountaintop, go to the temple, preach, preach, preach. Hosea's call is much different. God actually says to him that he's got to mirror what God has been feeling in his relationship towards the people of Israel. So he was called by God to live out a series of events that mirrors God's relationship with his people. And really, it's an incredible ask, but it has a beautiful ending. Look at Hosea chapter 1, because I know you've got there by now. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, when the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Scripture is not as G-rated as we may have thought. Okay. (laughs) So, Speaking in clear terms, God says, I'm going to have you live life like I have lived life. Go find yourself a prostitute and an adulterer. I want you to marry her. I want you to have children with her. No thanks. (laughs) I'm out. Appreciate it. No thanks. But Hosea submits himself to the Lord and does this. Bless his heart, there are some strange people's names in here. I'm all about creativity. You can pick a couple letters in the alphabet, name your your daughter or your son, however creative you want to be. But I just don't know if I would have married the wife I have today if her name was Gomer. Okay, Hosea finds this woman named Gomer and marries her. Bless his heart. They go on to have three kids, and I'll tell you the English translation of the three kids. The first one's name is Punished. The second one, and these are names given to him by the Lord. The second child that is born, the name that is given is called Not Pitied. No Mercy. And the third child's name means Not My People. And God gives specific instructions about the naming of these children based on what God's experience with the people of Israel have has been like. So Hosea warns the people to turn from their wickedness and stop being unfaithful to, to God. He uses some really choice language to prove a major point. In the first part of Hosea chapter 2, we hear that God wants Israel to stop spiritually whoring herself out and adulterating herself with other gods. It seems like she actually, if you're, I mean, I just read scripture in Dexter's language and understanding. It seems to me, if you read Hosea chapter two, she's infatuated with her sugar daddies. Like she literally, I mean, if you get the context of what that means, it says that she's giving credit for the bread and the wine and the gold and the things from all her lovers and God's saying, I'm the one who gave these things to you. God's upset at her because she's gone after other lovers and forgotten him. In the second part of chapter 2, God says, if she, doesn't, if she does end up stopping and returns to him, then blessings will come as a result. There's always hope. That's Here's the thing. If there's doom and gloom, there's got to be some sunrise that's coming on the horizon. Because our God is a God of hope. He is a God of prevailing love. In the midst of the songs that we sang this morning were powerful. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. That God is victorious. Even when we can't see it, can't feel it, don't understand it, God is on the move. Somebody besides my wife ought to shout. God is always up to something, and he's always up to something good. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Just skipping through and grabbing some passages to give you some context. Verse 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord takes issue. He has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does it sound like it applies to our nation today? So there is a practical side of understanding what they dealt with then and we are dealing with now, God still offers hope. Jump down to verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them words from a God. That's what that word oracles means. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they've left their God to play the whore. You say, wow, this is, Some strange language. If you've never read through the book of Hosea, now hopefully I've piqued your interest and you'll read through all the details of it. God lays out, even giving geographical reference, and says, the northern kingdom this, the southern kingdom this, the tribe of Judah or the people of Judah, the people of Ephraim. Uh, He goes through all of the things that they are dealing with. But God is, for lack of a better term, ticked off. He's really angry Because they've forgotten him and they're over there throwing chicken bones or dice or holding a piece of wood or worshiping at at an altar that's not dedicated to him. And they're doing things that are inappropriate in the relationship that they set out to have with God. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. God says this, I will return again to my place. I want to explain that phrase to you because I did some research on it. God says, I'm going to give you some distance. In other words, I've been very present with you, and at this point, I'm going to step back until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. Chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son." The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, to those foreign gods, and burning offerings to idols. Then chapter 14, verse 1 through 7, gives this amazing glimpse of hope. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you've stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Verse 3 talks about Assyria. Now, I'm a history buff. I love history. I, I like biblical history. Some of it's a little bit confusing, but let me explain something to you. During the reign of Jeroboam and in the life of Hosea there were things happening with another kingdom called Assyria. And there were a huge portion of Israelites that thought, wow, Assyria is so big and powerful. Let's make them an ally. But The word of the Lord comes through Hosea and says, don't put all your chickens in that basket. I don't know where I was going with that, but don't, don't put all your money on that horse as it was Assyria will not save you or save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Verse four says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like that of the olive. And his fragrance like the cedars in Lebanon. Verse 7 says this. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. There's a portion in Hosea, I didn't read you any part of that, in Hosea chapter 3, where his wife steps out on him again. And he goes and pursues her. The Bible says he pays a price for her and lists the amount of money that was required. But God had told Hosea, get her back. She's going to run off again, but get her back demonstrate and model what God's relationship was to the people of Israel at that point in time. And I would dare say it's the same sort of issue that we face even today in our church, the American Christian church. So the point is this. I'll be very bold since there's some bold language in the scripture that we've talked through this morning. The main point is this. Stop your spiritual whoring around. Stop your adultery, your spiritual adultery. Stop it and come back to your first love. Come back to the one who has paid the price for you, who has continually pursued you even when you chose not to be pursued even when you didn't pursue back even when there was a distance that you couldn't even fathom how to fix stop chasing other things and just come to the first love that you have Hosea is telling the people of Israel that the God who loves you he led you through the wilderness He's provided for you. He's done all of these things and he still longs for you. His love, his unconditional love will prevail. In fact, God opened up the doorway for it to prevail, not just to that select small group of people, but even to us who are here today, thousands of years later. God's love wins But the truth of the matter is, is we've got to be faithful to him and him alone. We've got to be faithful to him and him alone, because the Bible tells us very clearly that when you're faithful to him, his presence and his pleasure is present in your life. When you're unfaithful to him, disobedience and living in that way, then other things, other bad things happen. I think there's been a lot of confusion probably in your own life as well as mine at some different points and in the life of the church at large. Is this bad moment that I'm walking through God trying to get my attention? Is it because God doesn't love me? Is it because this? Is it because that? But I think sometimes we forget to think through our personal responsibility involved. You say, wow, pastor, what a what a great message today. <laughs> I think this message still applies to me and to you. Even if you're not spiritually committing adultery currently, there's a word of warning that's given to you. But if you are, there's this amazing amount of what we I say amazing amount Amazing amount or abundant amount of God's amazing grace to woo you and to call you back to Him. It's a powerful thing when we accept it. So, some questions that I have for you to consider today. Ask yourself this question, or let this question just kind of chew on this for a moment. Have you been spiritually, whoring yourself out? Have you been pursuing other things? Have you allowed God to stop being in the top priority spot of your life? You say, well, you, that's such graphic language, pastor. I can't believe you said that. No, 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 not me. Well, how much, how much time do you spend trying to develop your relationship with the Lord? That's a question I ask myself. How much priority has work taken over your relationship with God? If you're single, how how much time is invested in pursuing someone that maybe... It's taking a top priority spot. If you're dealing with things in your life and you're allowing those circumstances or those situations to overwhelm you and you're thinking about those, you've got to take control of that and you've got to start choosing to come back to him and allow him to be in the top spot. God was really ticked off at the people of Israel and I would dare say he's probably ticked off at the church in America And around the world. Even this church. And angry and upset. With the fact that you and I. Have sought other lovers. Have sought other priorities. And given time. Talent. Treasure to other things besides him. Okay great. Maybe that doesn't fit you so far. If you are. 100% spiritually faithful to the Lord as you should be, and there isn't current temptation, then by all means, pray for your church. Pray for your sisters and your brothers. Pray for your pastor. Pray for one another that we would make sure to disregard or avoid the temptation to be unfaithful to God in our life. And it takes on so many different forms. And it's so sneaky. It doesn't have to be something graphic and crazy. I don't think anybody, if you took me to your home today, have a secret closet with altars set up to a foreign God. It's just not that obvious. But in our heart we do. I know recently I've been challenged to pull down some altars in my own life. I think you and I both would be so much healthier and blessed if we walked in light of this, amen? So no matter what you're struggling with in your life, though, we've talked about this time and time again. Hosea says it all throughout all the 14 chapters. It's not necessarily a matter of your behavior. It's a matter of your heart. And our heart will never be fully healed and sanctified until we're up in heaven. So there's always work to be done. We don't say that as a cop out of, yeah, well, I mean, God knows what I struggle with. No, if you're struggling with anger, it's a matter of the heart. There's something in the heart. If you're struggling or fighting to, and you're seeking wisdom in finance and you're not managing those things well, it's a matter of the heart if you're longing for victory against something like disappointment or crippling anxiety in your life, it's a matter of the heart. How many of you have ever thought, well, if I just find some greener grass, it'll all be over? No, because if you take your sick heart with you, it'll eventually happen there too. So God has been telling his people for generations, I want you, I want your heart. And he still says that same promise and word to you today at Celebrate Church here in 2021. If you're seeking his help because you're dealing with parenting issues or discontentment, it's a matter of the heart. God wants to help you. But the primary focus of Hosea was God has always had a love for you. You've not always had a love for Him. So take this moment, assess yourself, and turn around. When I say that everything in our lives is a matter of the heart, I really mean it. Because I think it's true scripturally or biblically speaking. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about an attitude adjustment. You ever met somebody that just needed an attitude adjustment? <laughs> They're all pretty short. I mean, <clears throat> I was talking about kids, but there are some adults that deal with that and need an attitude adjustment. God's word, the direction of God's words to his people then and to his people now is not behavior modification or a simple attitude adjustment. Well, stop being uh, disgruntled and start being happy. and ev- No, that's not what it is. It's always it's always been that there's a need for a heart transplant. And I think over time, you say, well, pastor, you know, I I grew up a certain way in a certain type of church, and I don't know about, like, can you backslide? Um, Have you read the Bible? (laughs) Because the people of God backslid. They left him. He's out there on the porch going, where, where's, where's my, where's my honey? Where's my bride? Oh, I see her walking down that alley with that other guy. He's, he's been doing this and we've been doing this. And it's time that we listen to a message 3000 years old and say, it's not going to happen in my life. Not because of pride. I don't say that pridefully. I say that because I'm disciplining myself. I'm making sure to walk in the way that's correct. So worship team, would you come and help me close out the the message today? The thoughts that we've talked about and the thing that I want you, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to examine your heart. And maybe it is that you've already felt the, the hammer hit the nail. And you say, well, pastor, how do I fix this? Like, what do I do to fix this? There are three simple things to fix this. Let me say it to you like someone said it to me recently about something unrelated. These things are simple, but they are not easy. The first thing you do is repent. You stop to use the phrase again, walking the street, and you go back home where you belong. You repent of those things and turn away from those things. And you say, pastor, but it's not that big of a deal. It's an attitude in my heart. Turn away from that thing and turn towards God. It may not be some gross sin that you'd be embarrassed that everybody heard about. It may be something that's just a matter of the heart where you've stopped focusing on the lover of your soul and started focusing on the other things where you've been like Peter and you started focusing on the storm around you or the chaos rather than the one who can calm it all. The second thing you need to do is obey simple, but it's not easy. Obedience requires your submission, saying, God, okay, yes, I will. And then discipline. Discipline is the third thing it requires. If you're going to fix whatever's broken in your life with God's help, and you want to go back and experience that prevailing love in whatever area of your life, you can return to the Lord today. You can open up the door to that room that you've not given him access to. You can allow His prevailing love to overwhelm your fear, your anxiety, your sin, your shame, your guilt. What an amazing God we serve, and what an amazing pattern that He's laid out for us in Scripture. That we simply need to leave the old, become loyal to Him again, and blessings will flow. Would you stand with me today? Before we sing a single word to the encore song, and we always do this at the end of our services, I think it's a good pattern. A good pattern. It's nice to leave on a high note and to be singing a song of worship, but I don't want you to get sidetracked and start singing those words and not, to use a youth evangelism term, do business with God. So close your eyes with me. Your pastor has is preaching this message. He is living in moments where he is doing business with God. There are many in our church who are living in that pattern to, to head in the right direction and living in the pattern of repentance and obedience. But maybe you're here today and you haven't yet committed. I want to encourage you to come do business with him just simply means that's a phrase that means for you to confess your sin to the Lord, to ask him to forgive you of that sin and to walk in the new pattern in the new way. I'm going to pray for you and pray over you and then ask the worship team to just play for maybe 30 more seconds before they begin to sing so that they have time to, to just quietly in their spirit, in their heart, to speak to the Lord and do business with him too. Today we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of a nation called Israel. And the God who opened up the door of salvation to anyone who would be willing to walk through it. We pray to that God today and to no others. Lord, we ask you to help us Holy Spirit, I'm convinced you've been helping people in this message. But I pray that you'd help us more than just this hour on Sunday. Help us tomorrow. Help us this week. Help us this lifetime to continue to walk in a way that is faithful and pleasing to you. To you and you alone, you being in the top priority spot. God, I pray over Celebrate Church that you would help us to live holy. And righteous. Help us, Lord, to always prioritize you over all other things. Lord, forgive us for walking away from you, even momentarily. God, I thank you that you're still the God today of the prodigal, in the muck and in the mire. There's always that Father standing on the porch waiting for the Son to come home. So, Lord, maybe it's not that dramatic, maybe it's just a small area, but I pray in the name of Jesus that we would not give in to the temptation of the enemy to believe that, ah, it's not big a deal. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be convinced and help us to walk in your way, in your truth, and in your prevailing love. Jesus.